Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Chingbana, a podcast about women and femmes and non-binaries who inspire with their heart and their hustle. My name is Leah. For today's episode, we're covering racism in Catholicism, and joining me is my friend Pam Morales de Hendricks and the co-host of the Plaid Skirts and Basic Black podcast, Shannon Schmidt. Ladies, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having us. I appreciate <laughs> it. Uh, so tell me tell me a little bit about yourself. Shannon, we'll start with you. Sure. Um, so I am a biracial woman. My dad is black and my mom is Irish and German. Uh, both of them were cradle Catholics. And so I was also a cradle Catholic, which means that I've been Catholic since I was a baby. Um, and uh, I live and work outside of Indianapolis at a Catholic church here in town. And um, I have a bachelor's degree in theology and Italian from the University of Notre Dame. And I have a graduate degree in pastoral ministry from Catholic Theological Union in Chicago. And uh in between all of that, I'm also a mom of four kids under the age of 10. It's very crazy in our house. Um, and my wonderful, and I call him long-suffering husband, Eric, uh, is a, a uh, administrator in uh, schools. So uh, he is a, now an assistant principal. So uh, we have a lot of educating going on at our house all the time and a lot of craziness. Uh, Pam, share a little bit about yourself. So I am Pam, of course, and I live in McAllen, Texas, which is about 10, 15 minutes away from the U.S.-Mexico border. Um, and I am, I work at a museum at a local, a local history museum, the Museum of South Texas History. I'm the communications officer there, so I do a lot of the marketing, public relations, social media, all that fun stuff, uh, content creation as well. Um, I recently got married, so I am a wife. Um, I married a local reporter, (laughs) and um, no children yet. We're still working on that, I guess you could say. (laughs) And um, Yeah, I guess that's uh, just the gist of it. Uh, so Pam, you posted something on how how this the topic came up for this is that you kind of made a post on Instagram about how you were grappling with being uh, with the racism in the history of Catholicism, and you ladies are both women of color, and I mean I am too. I'm not Catholic, um, but I think this is a conversation that needs to be had always, but especially in light of everything that's going on. So Pam, if, I don't know if you want to take the reins on on your thoughts, what you're kind of thinking about. So I posted that, um, you know, after the whole devastating situation um, and the death of George Floyd. And I've always had the thought about the issue between racism and, and the Catholic Church in the sense... Um, I guess just to give context, so I grew up Catholic, uh, cradle Catholic, and probably about when I turned 21, I kind of left and sort of led this life of, um, you know, that wasn't necessarily in, in teaching with the Catholic Church. Um, That's when I and, met you. 
sorry? That's when I met you during that time in your life. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. And so, you know, it's like, I mean, I'm still that free spirited person, but I was just dealing with a lot of like personal things, having to deal with like the hookup culture, um, and sort of a lot of, it was just, I think it was just more about like the hookup culture that really, really, um, affected me. And then I went back to the church, uh, or started like, I, you know, decided to go back, um, after Trump got elected. Um, I think his, his election really opened my eyes to a lot of other things that, deep down, I, I still had a lot of issues with, like, for example, the, the you know, pro-choice and the pro-life movements, um, hookup culture, like everything just, I don't know, it, it just opened something in me that I just felt like I need to go back and explore more. So I started a, a different type of journey of like educating myself about church teaching and all, all the stuff about the church. Um, but of course, along that journey, I realized there were a lot of white Catholics on social media. And I was trying really hard. I mean, not trying that hard, obviously, but um, so 2016, I, I, I realized, you know, there were a lot of white Catholics. Um, and I knew in the back of my head, I'm like, where are the, the Hispanic Catholics? Because they, I mean, basically the, the pews right now, for the most part, are filled by Hispanics. Um, and, and I also knew about black Catholics, but my, my, what I had known was that they, they are mostly in areas like New Orleans and Baltimore and Chicago, because you know, those are metropolitan, metropolitan areas. And I didn't really think about like, well, why are there black Catholics in Baltimore or New Orleans? And I went to New Orleans last year for museum conference and they, you know, offer a lot of uh, sessions. I explored new mu the museums that are in, in the, in the city that the conference is in. And I went to the Grimma Herman Museum, House Museum. It's a historical, it's a historical house. It's not a museum. And I, you know, well, first off, I'll say that, like, I was like the only, what looked like I was the only Mexican American there. All the people in the room were, they were all white females. And, um, so we got a tour, but they gave us a tour because, you know, at the, now museums are really focusing, especially in areas where there were um, uh, slaves. They start like the plantations. They are starting to focus more on the history and the lives of the black slaves. And so in this historic house, they, you know, really focused on, on the slaves that lived in that house in New Orleans. And the thing that really like got me was in the courtyard the the building with the slaves where the slaves lived did all their chores and then obviously the big nice fancy house and the courtyard was facing like the back of the house and you could see the patio and then on the right side like if you're in the courtyard you can see um the like the staircase leading up to like the first and the second and the third floor and the tour guide said you know we know that 
from the stories that we've heard is this French Catholic family would pray the rosary in the courtyard and for them to keep an eye on the black slaves, they had placed those windows by the staircase so they can keep an eye on them. And that really like made me open my eyes to, I mean, I had known, right? Like a little bit that there was racism because the Catholics, when they were coming over from the new world, it was like God, golden glory. And of course, you know, they um, try to convert the indigenous people in the Americas. But like, I guess hearing that story, just like, I mean, I was emotionally wrecked in the inside and I tried really hard not to show it, but it just, I don't know, since that, I've just sort of been in this like internal struggle of like, why are Hispanics and Afro-Latinos and Blacks still Catholic? Why are we still part of this religion that has destroyed cultures and and land and like you know it's just it's I'm starting really hard to get emotional about it but I don't know it's just that grappling thing and then of course this whole thing with George Floyd and all that happened it just made me think about like how do we reconcile those differences and also the narrative of like decolonizing I mean most of the stuff that I read about decolonizing is just more about like you know capitalism and money and economics and stuff but there are some people who are decolonizing in the way of um, leaving the Catholic Church and becoming, you know, like curanderos or curanderas, um, or going back to their to their, you know, African uh, if they can, right? Obviously, not every but um, all African descents have the privilege of knowing where exactly they come from, but going back to that spirituality, um, and so I guess I feel like. You know, I want to stay in the church, the Catholic Church, because it is a beautiful religion. And I've seen how it's helped other people and how much they believe in it. But like I said, just grappling with the whole idea of decolonization, like how can we reconcile that? And also because of the whole thing that happened with George Floyd, how can I feel like in a way, just like sort of telling people like, I understand why we should be colonized, but if somebody wants to stay like in the religion, doesn't necessarily have to be Catholicism. How are we, I guess, being sensitive to that? And that's sort of where I want to have that discussion because I also don't want to go around telling people like, well, you need to decolonize and not be, you know, religious or whatever, <laughs> because I just don't think that's, that's appropriate. And yeah, just really want to have that discussion with other people of color. Shannon, what are your thoughts on, I know Pam kind of <laughs> unpacked a lot there, but <laughs> what, are, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so there is a lot, and there is, especially in America, uh, um, a deep history of racism in the church. Um, as much as I love the church, uh, I think we can't be uh, blind to the way this that throughout history we have failed to live up to our mission and failed to live up to the the example of Jesus Christ, who is the person that we follow. Um, and whether you're religious or not, um, you know, I think you can say that 
if you are a religious person, your actions should be not in, or should always be in conjunction with what you believe. They shouldn't be hypocritical. And I think that's especially true of Christians. Um, I think when it comes to the idea of colonization that I want to talk about specifically, and then um, maybe get to my further thoughts about racism and the church in general, um, I think that you can see in Catholicism, it's a it's a global church, it's a global religion in many ways that other Christian denominations don't experience. And so we are a church that, you know, in our history, it's been primarily Western driven um, since probably the year, oh, um, 500 or so when the um, church in the East, which is now kind of the Greek Orthodox and Russian Orthodox Church, and the church in the West started to diverge for historical reasons. Um, But certainly in the past um, 500 to maybe even if I boil that down to the past 200 years, the church has become much more global. It's always been global, but um, it has, there's been a resurgence Um, In Africa, the church has been in Africa since the very beginning, but there's been a huge boom in population in what we call the Global South, um, and in South America as well, South and Central America. And so the majority of Catholics are becoming Catholics of color on a global scale, and that's also true in the U.S. with um, all of the migration that's happening from Central and South America as well. So... um, we, the church right now in America in particular is at a transition point in which um, the white majority is shifting um, and it's becoming a Hispanic majority. Um, and soon, uh, just like the rest of the country, we will have what we call a minority majority, that there will be more um, uh, people of color than uh, white people. And so I think we're seeing a lot of the conflict cultural conflict in the church that we haven't seen before because until, you know, maybe the past 50 years, the church was predominantly white, Irish, German, and Italian, (laughs) and Polish as well. So um, in particular, when it comes to colonization, um, there is a deep history of the religion, um, excuse me, of Catholicism being used as a tool for colonization. However, you also have a deep witness of people, uh, many of whom are saints, who fought against that, who fought for human rights, and who um, used the the gift of their religion, right, the core of it, the heart of what Christianity is, to not only endure um, oppression, maybe in slavery and um, persecution, but also to transform that and to take it on culturally um, and to transform their practice of it to reflect their own culture and their own ideals. Um, And there's a, um, especially since 1960, which is when the Second Vatican Council happened. So for those who are outside the church, uh, that's when like the mass went from Latin to whatever language was used in the country and all, all sorts of these big changes started to happen. Um, there has been an emphasis on what we call enculturation, that uh, when uh, the, the church goes into a new region, that the things that are in that culture that are in line with 
the the things that the church teaches are preserved and emphasized um, and that the, the way that we know that things are being integrated, that religion is true, that Catholicism has truly been taken on by a culture, is if the culture then starts to use its own symbols to be able to express truths that we share as a universal church. Um, so an example of this that I love is the celebrations around All Saints Day, which is November 1st. So in Mexico, you have Dia de los Muertos, right? That is a culture, uh, uh, an enculturated festival um, that emphasizes what we celebrate on November 1st. Um, in other places, like in Poland, they have a different celebration. They go into seminaries and, excuse me, seminaries, <laughs> cemeteries, <laughs> and um, they leave lanterns everywhere, um, you know, um, <clears throat> excuse me. And then the, the celebration of Halloween, which is primarily an Irish holiday, also a celebration of All Saints Day, but, to, uh, you know, pretty different from, um, from Dia de los Muertos. And, uh, even though they're celebrating the same thing, right. That as Christian people, we believe that death is not the final say that we can, that we don't have to worry about death and evil and evil spirits, like whatever, you know, whatever that is, whatever you want to kind of, um, lump that in, but they're so, they're just very different ways of celebrating that same belief. Um, and that's, I think, the beauty of religion and for me Catholicism in particular is that there are these universal truths and that we can express them in our own way. Um, there's a wonderful book by Diana Hayes, who's a black um, Catholic theologian, and she talks about all the ways that blacks, uh, blacks, oh my God, sorry, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> black Catholics, uh, black Christians, uh, both Protestant and Catholic, um, took this religion that was being preached at them by slave, uh, by their slave owners who were really misconstruing everything that you find in the Bible, right? Using St. Paul, who was a proponent, proponent of unity and diversity, um, to say slaves obey your masters and don't fight against us and all of this thing, right? Picking and choosing the things out of the Bible that they wanted to keep. And as Catholics, we read the Bible as a whole. Like all of it has to be in, in conversation with another part. Um, and the slaves read that same Bible and took on those same stories and gravitated towards other ones that were like about Moses and the Israelites being freed from slavery and all of these different stories that... Um, built up the oppressed. So for me, it's not about religion, right? It's not about taking on the religion of the white man. That that was never, um, that's not the issue. It's what people do with religious traditions, right? Um, when we advocate for our Muslim brothers and sisters, we talk about that all the time, uh, that, you know, people who misconstrue Islam to do horrible things are not most Muslims. And that's true of any religion in, in the West as well. Um, you know, and there are criteria that we can look at to see whether or not people are, um, are following what's actually a religion, their religious tradition or not. And right. And I think that, um, at least in my Catholic brain, um, that is shown through how we live our lives. Right. So if our lives start to be more, um, as Christians, more open, compassionate, welcoming to everyone, 
uh, regardless of who they are or what they look like and the worldview are, then we are reflecting the truth of what we believe. Um, and the more we become closed off and exclusive and the more we um, expel people from our company, for lack of a better word, um, then we're not living up to what we truly believe. Um, yeah, I said a lot there. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was super, super informative. I was reading an article on um, kind of how uh, black Catholics, like the turning point for when black Catholics kind of became their own sect. And um, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was around the time of Martin Luther King's uh, assassination something like two weeks after that um the black church there was like a black priest in illinois that um got a lot of other black religious leaders together and decided that they wanted to kind of branch off and remove themselves from the white majority catholics yeah so there have been black Catholics in America, actually, since the very beginning. That first group of uh, explorers, I, sh I should say, in um, since colonial times, not since the beginning. They certainly weren't here with indigenous people. Um, but uh, so uh, the very first set of um, Spanish explorers, uh, there were eight of them who went into what is now the American Southwest and West. Um, there was a black man with them who was a convert to Catholicism. So black Catholics have been present in America, um, in the United States since its very beginnings. Um, and one of the oldest settlements, um, in Florida and, um, St. Augustine, of course, was a Spanish settlement and a Catholic settlement. There was a group of, uh, just North of that, there was a black community, a black Catholic community as well. So, um, and there have been pockets, as Pam was saying, in different locations like Louisiana. Um, and, you know, like I would say, like Louisiana black Catholics are, are their own because they've been there and they have the, had their own culture since the 1600s uh, with the Spanish, or excuse me, the French. Um, and, and in Baltimore, um, that's where the first Catholic diocese was. So the first bishop in America was there um, after the United States, uh, the English started establishing colonies. And um, and then, of course, the larger cities like New York, um, Chicago, and things like that. And a lot of that had to do with the Great Migration and some of that in the North as well. Um, when in the 20s and 30s, many black people moved from the South to the North. Um, but uh, certainly the sort of trying to discover what it means to be authentically black and truly Catholic, which is another, it's actually the title of a book, a great book by Matthew Kressler. I read name. that also. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's when you start to see, uh, just like in, in society, uh, black people trying to reclaim some of their uh, African identity and reclaim their cultural identity. Um, we just did on our uh, podcast an episode on the Knights of St. Peter Claver, which have been around since the early 20th century, um, which is a black Catholic fraternal organization. And so those play, those organizations were there creating spaces for black Catholics, but black Catholics really um, did not experience welcome in the church outside of particular parishes. 
um, in the same way that other Catholics did until um, really the the 50s or the 60s um, onward. And so there have always been traditionally black parishes. But in the 60s, you started to see, along with that shift in our worship that I talked about after the Second Vatican Council, so when Mass became um, open to different languages outside of Latin and things like that, and there were a lot of different changes to the way that the service or the Mass was was celebrated, um, you started to see, because of that emphasis on enculturation, on making the Mass uh, reflect the culture of the people, Black Catholics reclaiming their identity and bringing their own culture, their own traditions, like the spirituals and gospel music and things like that in different ways of expressing that we have as a culture into our worship. And so that started to create um, a more cohesive um, community. And that's also around the same time that uh, an organization called the National Black Catholic Con Congress, excuse me, <laughs> uh, was formed. And uh, they, they are uh, the national organization for black Catholics. So they advocate for black Catholics. They organize conferences, things like that. Um, and so that's when we really start to see um, that identity becoming more pronounced. Um, and thankfully, that has led the way for many of our brothers and sisters who are newer immigrants to America. Um, and thankfully, the lessons learned from um, how the church has failed black Catholics on occasion has helped us better respond to our Hispanic brothers and sisters as they, they come. Um, and, um, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of ways to go um, when it comes to racism in the church. Um, but I think on the whole, I would say that people do want to try. Uh, they do want to try. They may not get it all the time. And, um, and certainly I have met many critiques, but, but um, it's a place where I think we have a wealth of tradition that stretches back to um, the first century of the common era that we can draw on to say, um, you know, how can we be better and how can we grow and how can we learn more about who God is as we experience new things as a culture? Um, and you know, we can get into the nitty gritty too, for sure, because <laughs> uh, be, I'm ready to jump on that horse this week after all that's been going on. <laughs> Before we get into that, um, Pam, do you have, you know, any, any thoughts on any of the things that Shannon just spoke about? Spoke about? There were, there, yeah, a couple of things, I guess, just to mention is, well, one, today, I just found out, um, that there was an African king, Alfonso the first yeah. um, of Congo, which I think might be present day Ethiopia. Yes. yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, and that he had, you know, he was he was a, a Catholic king, mm -hmm. and he was convert. Well, his father was converted through the Jesuits from Portugal from in like the 1500s. So I was like, mm -hmm. oh. So they were Catholic way before they were even here. So one, I learned about that. Um, and of course, that's a whole other like interesting story. And the other thing about um, you know racism, there is an article that I did read. Um, it, it was sort of like a, a analytical piece on Martin Scorsese's movie Gangs of New York. Nice. Um, and in that movie, if you haven't seen it, it's sort of a rivalry between 
the Irish Catholics and the Italian Catholics. Mm -hmm. And sort of this, um, you know, this message on... So when the Irish and the Italians, you know, and basically European Catholics came over to the United States in the early 20th century, they were hated because they were Catholic because the United States is like predominantly Protestant. Mm -hmm. And they were discriminated the same way Hispanics today, or not Hispanics, people from Mexico and Central America and South America are being treated right now. Mm-hmm. And in this, you know, piece that I read, it was, you know, basically saying that the reason why there's white supremacy and why there's some Catholics who are white supremacists is because their ancestors, even though it's, it wasn't that long ago, were violently mistreated and in a way they had to um, fight for their place in America. So like, you know, apparently that whole story about Christopher Columbus and the statue when why it's in, um, forget, New York maybe, mm-hmm. um, because the Italians felt like they were being mistreated and they felt like, you know, we have a place in the United States and Christopher Columbus is our example, obviously terrible, terrible example. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it just, I don't know, reading that article, like, I, you know, one of those things where while I'm like educating myself, like I kept in the back of my mind is like, that's why there's racism, I guess. I mean, I'm not that there is, it's just one of the things is that like, or why Catholics also are racist and white supremacist because they probably had this like inherent hatred because they were, they, they themselves were violently, violently mistreated. And now that they're part of society um, and accepted because they're Catholic, they take that out on other people. Okay, pause. I learned about this idea of passing down trauma to future generations on an episode of Dear White People, which, by the way, is one of the greatest shows of all time. If you're not familiar with it, it's a show based on a movie about a group of black students at a university and just the bullshit they have to deal with because they are black. And the show does a really good job of portraying very real situations in the black community while also being satirical and humorous. There are three seasons on Netflix, so as soon as you're done listening to this episode, run, don't walk to your TV. But anyway, in a season two episode of Dear White People, there's a part where a character brings up this thing called epigenetics. She says, quote, basically, scientists have figured out that people who experience intense trauma like slavery pass that down through their DNA. So pain and suffering is literally in my blood, end quote. I looked into this and it is fascinating. It's called transgenerational epigenetic inheritance. The idea that trauma can leave a chemical mark on a person's genes and is then passed down generation to generation. So, to Pam's point, it's not far-fetched that some of these people who are racist now could have literally had it passed down through their DNA based on trauma that their ancestors experienced. That being said, it's not an excuse to be a racist or an apology for it. Here's more from Pam. So that that's just like one of the few things that I'm, you know, that I'm like slowly learning, but also being, you know, what Shannon was mentioning, all that stuff. It just that's what it reminded me. Yeah, um, for sure. And um, 
you know, we could do a whole different podcast on anti-Catholicism in the United States because that's <laughs> a long history as well. Um, and um, and it is there. Are, there has been a long history of Catholics until you know probably John F. Kennedy being considered. Oh, you're you're not American because you follow the Pope, right? There's this worry that people who follow the Pope are going to listen to him over being American. It's this sort of this dichotomy of like, are you really American or are you Catholic? What's your choice at the end of the day? Um, and I think why that do you have to choose. I'm um, sorry, I just find it like bonkers that it's like, why does it have to? Why do you have to choose? Yes, why is that a thing? Yes. <laughs> Great question. Um, and that has to do, you know, like there's so there's so many deep roots of European history and the Reformation that like we can't, we don't have time for that. Um, but, um, you know, one of the things that I find frustrating, I guess, is that um, there was in the early part of the, or I should say the mid um 19th century onward, this model called the national parish model, where if you were Polish, you, you know, and this was a time when people weren't as mobile, you came and maybe you ended up in Chicago. There's a lot of Polish people in Chicago. Um, and yeah, that's because that's where your family who migrated or your friends or whatever were there. And you would go there and you would connect to the church and the church was your community and you brought a priest with you and that was the Polish community. So you could hold on to your culture. You could worship in the ways you were used to. And there might be three blocks down the Ukrainian church and then three blocks the other way, the Germans and the Irish and the Italians, right? Like, which is why in so many of these cities you have these parishes that are right on top of each other. And they got to be in their own communities. Well, that wasn't, that isn't a model we follow anymore for the most part. We expect immigrants to come to our churches and assimilate um and in the national parish model uh the idea was that you you would focus on making everyone a community and then eventually as you got people on their feet then the parish would expand and people would um kind of assimilate i hate to say assimilate because like that's not something probably as people of color were very into but that was the the idea at the time right people mm -hmm. learn english that they would eventually become part of society and become um comfortable in america right so the church was taking care of its people first and prioritizing their needs as immigrants and then um kind of worried about the rest later and now we ask immigrants to come in and to find a parish and join it and um you know if there's a large enough population you might get a group um and and this is not true in every diocese but um if there's a large enough population you might even get a mass in your language um but for the most part we're aimed at well we are we need to get everybody unified because we're one church and the Mexicans need to worship with the Polish people and the Irish people and the African people. And we need to just make that all one, um, worship and not worry about whether or not we're taking care of people's cultural needs. Um, and that does a great disservice to, um, our current immigrant population, most of whom are not white. Um, so there's different cultural expectations than um, in Europe in which there are some shared cultural um, norms. And so, um, you know, I, I think the church, though it does um, 
do a better job of getting excited about our immigrant populations. They don't necessarily take care of them in the same way they did when the majority of um, Catholic groups that came over in the 19th and early 20th centuries were. Um, And on top of that, um, there's a long history of the church Um, because our bishops and leaders were primarily white, Uh, the church in America, I should say, not the global church, uh, either um, being complicit in or openly participating in um, white supremacist actions. So uh, one of the sadder stories is the the founding of Georgetown University, which is the Jesuits, who I love. They're like super amazing and super culturally sensitive. But... um, to found Georgetown University to get the endowment for that, they had 272 slaves that they, black slaves, that they sold, uh, you know, it's sort of a ridiculously high price, and that gave them the endowment for Georgetown. So from the very beginning, Georgetown was founded on the oppression of a huge group of people. Um, along with that, you had bishops, priests, religious orders, which is nuns and, and brothers and um, who owned slaves, who... Um, sold them who would use slaves to do their charity work, you know, like it's sort of like this weird disconnect that exists um, in history between what they were doing as a religious order and what they were doing as slave owners. Um, You also had um, segregation of schools, people who would deny Catholics of color um, access to the sacraments, access to their churches, who would make them sit in separate parts of of the church on, on Sundays during mass. Um, and thankfully, there have been bishops and saints and, and who have stood up for people of color throughout the centuries. Um, that being said, I would also say that uh, the global church and, and the Vatican was always a little bit ahead of us. It was always saying like, hey, stop this. Hey, don't do this. Um, this is not great. Um, and um, and though, again, the global church is not perfect, um, you know, it's it's certainly much more tied in with American history than Catholic history. Um, and there are often days as a woman of African descent that I am ready to like pick up, say, peace out, I'm done with this. Like I'm done with people telling me how I should feel, um, what I should do, how I should protest, things like that. Um, But at the end of the day, for me um, and my own growth as a human person, uh, there is something about the practice of my faith. There's something about the sacraments. um, There is something about the ritual and the worship that has lasted from the very beginning. It's not exactly the same, right? But but things that have stuck with us for 2,000 years that... um, speak to my heart and teach me more about the mystery of life and more about the mystery of the divine. Um, And, you know, for me to sacrifice that and that beauty because people are not perfect, well, I'm never going to find anything that's going to live up to that for me. So, um, yeah, I'm going to get angry soon (laughs) (laughs) that's a I like the way you stated that that it you you know it's not the I guess the spiritual aspect 
is not shouldn't be tainted by the way humans act and um i also liked that you stated that the you know the church on a global scale or even the american church that it's not perfect um and i think that a lot of people who are at least in my experience um are religious they they do think that it is a, a perfect system and that it needs to be abided by um from head to toe and um it's it is important to acknowledge that it is not a perfect system and that there is room to grow so thank you for stating absolutely. that yeah absolutely and i think that right like any institution it is have humans in it and so we learn and grow with our history and to say that we have always been perfect throughout history is just silly. I mean, the church supported slavery for, oh, about 1,800 years. Now, ancient slavery was a lot different than what we, we know in America, but, um, you know, and the church also um, has changed its mind, quote-unquote, on, on things like that. Um, so it's not to say that the eternal truths aren't there. The church always taught that they every human person was born in the image and likeness of God, which we read in the, in the first chapter of Genesis, the first book of our Bible. Um, but it didn't always live that out. Right. So, uh, the way we practice our faith doesn't always reflect what, uh, we, we believe and what we believe Christ taught us. So, yeah, it can be a mess. (laughs) It's a beautiful mess. It's a mess. And yeah. what are your thoughts? Yeah, and, you know, I think, uh, yeah, what she said, Shannon has said, and I, I feel like that that is what I want to bring out or, like, showcase to people because, as I mentioned earlier, it's just so many, I mean, not that many people, but there are people out there that, like, their whole agenda is, like, get rid of religion, decolonize, and it's like, wait, like, I mean, I understand why they're saying that, but it's like you, you can't, you can't just strip somebody from that, especially if they have chosen to stay. You know, Shannon is staying, like, she chooses to, just the same way I want to choose, like, I'm choosing to stay, and I, like, Shannon, I don't want someone telling me how I should feel, how I should, you know, believe, and, you know, all these other things. It's, it, it, it for me, it's frustrating, and, and not to say that those, you know, the people who have, chosen to leave and not participate in any religion affiliation like I'm you know I am praying for them um hoping that they find their sense of you know whatever people I think in general like humans have always looked for something bigger than themselves Mm -hmm. and as a person who works at a museum and a person who has you know I've gone to not a lot of museums but you know, museums and seeing how civilization has always worshiped something. And it just, for me, like, that's why I did like have to do like, you know, put all the, I guess, you know, everything together, the timeline and civilization, civilization just makes me feel like religion is really whether that was Christianity, you know, or, or, you know, Hebrews and people before then, they have shaped their culture on religion. And I don't know, I feel like it's just a big integral part of, of culture and society. 
like, yes, you know, I do agree, you know, there's a reason why the Catholic church, they do, they have said that the church should not be like the official religion for countries or states, because we have, they have learned the lesson that you, you can't just be like a one, you know, religion state or country, because you're going to come across all kinds of problems with that, because, you know, not everybody, like they're going to refuse to, to convert and we're not going to force any, anybody to convert. I mean, that's the impression, right? Um, so, yeah, I think it's just, you know, having good discussions with people and not getting heated over like who's religious or not religious or I think it's just respecting people's wishes to choose to stay in a religion in their eyes as a racist institution. Yeah, a lot of thoughts still. I'm still yeah. working out those thoughts, but that's, <laughs> that's basically what what how I feel. And and I guess I just also worry that, you know, if a person of color, especially, you know, black Catholics today are asking people to pray for them or they're, you know, saying that they want to pray for someone, I think that that should be, you know, generally expected accepted like you know thank you like be nice about it I guess is what I'm trying (laughs) to say um and not just be like well did you know that the Catholic Church is like yeah we know that it's racist (laughs) but we're just I don't yeah it's just just being sensitive I guess is what I'm trying to really get at yeah no that I you make good points I so I uh was raised Catholic and then when I got into college I kind of moved away from the religion and I no longer identify as Catholic. I don't identify as anything. I don't know. It's something that I'm kind of grappling with myself. Like, I don't know if I'm like atheist or, you know, what the situation is. Um, And it's just kind of this like inner dialogue that I have with myself. But whenever, like I have very religious family members, like my grandma is always giving me like a little angel this or a little prayer of that and like I I know that is her way of showing me that she cares and that's how I take it as like I I try I don't take offense whenever other people are trying to like you know bless you or I'll pray for you because I know that that's just their way of showing that they're caring for another person that's just my two cents (laughs) yeah well I will say I did have oh I feel really I'm still thinking about this encounter so I I um Someone on Instagram had posted how they were very upset of their family members um, not grappling with the whole like racism thing and and um, just sort of you know the Trump situation and you know political and all that stuff and you know she like basically said that she that she hated she hated Catholicism and, you know, she grew up in it and all this other stuff. And she said some other things that I can't really remember right now, but I got really upset. The other thing that makes me upset about that, um, is, you know, my mom is, is very devout and she's been through stuff like very like heavy, like life situations, you know, having to deal with with suicide, dealing with, um, you know, a son that's autistic and then some other, like, you know, just a bunch of crazy stuff. But she, like, is so devout and, like, like just so, like, I don't know, you know, just faithful, right? Mm-hmm. And so it also makes me upset 
when people are like, you know, religion is the worst thing in the world. And it's like, you're kind of insulting my mom mm-hmm. by saying that, that she's, that she's stupid. Cause that's what, you know, some people say like, Oh, people who believe in religion are stupid. Like they don't know anything. They're just like, you know, believing in fake fairy stories and all this other stuff. And it's like, but you're insulting someone who like is smart, like is a regular normal person. She just happening to her are bigger than herself. Like, it's not about her. It's not about her suffering. Like it's about being there for people who need her. And she does that because she believes in something bigger than herself. So that's, that's another like whole other situation. Obviously we can talk about that another time, but yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, I replied to the, to, to this person with that. She hasn't replied back to me. She unfollowed me on Instagram. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, I said, I said what I had to, but, um, yeah, that's just one of those things. And, you know, I appreciate Leah, Leah you, you know, still um, seeing family members who probably do things because they care about you, not because they, they think you're going to go to hell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's really important uh, when we're talking about religion to recognize that, like, every human being has a spirituality, right? That's kind of what you're getting at, Pam, is, like, we all have this natural inclination to seek, right? It's kind of built into our brains. It's hardwired in there. Um, and we all find outlets for that spirituality whether and communities for that. Like, some people, it's like you're... Um, World of Warcraft tribe or whatever like I don't know you know like whatever it is Um, and religion is um, a way in which we can channel that and it's also something which in a positive way makes demands on us to um, to not sort of let our spirituality go everywhere right to just sort of be out there that is um you know like i always talk about as a catholic if you're familiar we have lent right before easter it's like a time of sacrificing and all of you guys know that but if listeners out there if you don't know <laughs> um it's you know we're kind of it's kind of like you know we strip down all the decorations it's kind of like meh you know like i don't like it personally i'm i'm a very like happy bubbly person i want it to be easter season which is like all the flowers are out and all the pretty things and we're singing all the happy songs right um i want that all the time but what lent always reminds me is that like not only in life are there times when we go through suffering and drought and sort of desert but also that like I am being asked to do something that would not be my natural inclination so that I can grow as a person and become more um, compassionate, more understanding, less selfish, and less, uh, less focused on what I need. Um, you know, because like, yeah, I could give up chocolate and that's fine. Right. It's like a <laughs> self-sacrifice, but um, you know, really if I enter into the spirit of it, then I am being, I am channeling my own spirituality, channeling my connection to that thing outside of myself in a way that's going to help me become a better person, um, to live a more ethical life. Um, and it's not just about, you know, getting into heaven and getting the points, you know, it's about what does it mean to be a truly human person, um, who is committed to, um, you know, justice and peace and compassion and, and all of those things that we can all agree upon. Um, and I think, you know, I hope that's what other people find in their spiritual pursuits as well, wherever they are. I agree. Do you guys have any final thoughts on 
everything that we were talking about today. The whole world. <laughs> <laughs> Pam, I mean, do you feel a little bit better kind of in your searching after hearing what Shannon had to say? Um, I feel like I have more to read about as far as um, <laughs> black Catholicism and because I am learning to see then that's like the other thing I feel hooked like I'm having some shame which obviously Catholics no shame is not good so much guilt <laughs> <laughs> I'm like why didn't I I mean like I said in the back of my head I just knew like I need to know more about like black Catholics and I need to know more about like Hispanic and like all these other things I need to follow more you know person uh, you know Catholics of color like I, I but I just you know, life gets in the way, started getting, you know, got proposed to, you know, um, well, I think I had followed or started following Shannon's and, and, um, Marcia. Marcia. Okay. Yeah. Shannon's a co-host on the podcast. Um, this was like way before this whole thing happened. Um, I was following or I am following, um, a Hispanic Catholic and, you know, she started talking about like, how she was very upset that Leticia Ochoa Adams, that's her, um, she was getting like, you know, kind of talking about how conferences and all of that stuff, um, a lot of white Catholics. And so she's like, you know, talking about how she feels like she's not heard in the church because also like the, the books that are published, um, especially like stories of personal faith and all that stuff and conversion, um, a lot of white Catholic authors. And so she was talking about that. And I thought, you know, I'm going to look up black Catholics. And so that's how I came across uh, Shannon's podcast and been listening to it. And then of course, you know, like I said, the shame after the whole George, George Floyd thing happened. Now I'm starting to follow more people, um, you know, black Catholics. Um, and I'm still learning more about their experience and trying to, you know, be there for them and, and solidarity and all of that stuff. So still more to learn. We all always have more to learn. So <laughs> yeah. yeah. I um, think, I think it's important to, to understand for people that is, we're, we're continuously evolving just as humans and that includes religion. And as we mentioned earlier, like it's not perfect. Like once something is perfect, that means there is no more room to grow and, Obviously, there's there's always room to grow, and these are conversations that need to be continuously evolving, and we need to revisit. Everybody needs to revisit whether they're uncomfortable or not. All right, well, thank you, ladies, so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. This was super informative. Um, I've been doing a lot of research leading up to this, and I feel like I I won't be able to get out of the research rabbit hole until, like, <laughs> something else, like, you know, squirrel, like, piques my interest for that time being. But um, thank you so very much. Yeah, thank you so yeah. much. This is great. Thanks, yeah, Leah. A big, big thank you to Pam and Shannon for coming on and bearing your souls and frustrations with me. I will share their social media in the show notes. If y'all want to hear a part two on the topic, please let me know. I know we only scratched the surface. Also, I'm going to be on an episode of Shannon's podcast, Plaid Skirts and Basic Black, so make sure to check that out too. I'll link it as well. Special thanks to my uncle Raul Garza Jr. for writing and performing the theme music. My boyfriend has been humming it around the house for the past couple weeks. 
Follow the podcast on Instagram and Twitter at Chingona Podcast. Feel free to email me at chingonapodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening and I'll talk to y'all soon.